Thank you for joining us for live paranormal radio. From the paranormal to the unexplained, it all happens here. It all happens here. Looking to enhance your radio experience? Participate in our live video chat 24-7 with our live paranormal radio show hosts and other like-minded people. Live. Paranormal.com, the only interactive social chat room supported by Full Interaction Media. Stop by now and join the fun. Stop by now and join the fun. It's raising the vibration right here on the Live Paranormal Radio Network. Please join us at LiveParanormal.com and all of our syndicated affiliates, iHeartRadio.com, Google Podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Podomatic, Player FM, Blog Talk Radio. The list goes on and on and on. I'm your host, Sheena Metal. I'm a psychic medium. I'm an interfaith minister. I'm a 27-year talk radio host here in Los Angeles. And this is Raising the Vibration. Raising the Vibration is actually an outreach of a nonprofit movement of peace and love and kindness and unity that I started in 2016 to carry on my mom's teachings and to honor her memory after her passing uh, both spiritual and humane. Um, my mom believed that the world needed more peace, more kindness, more love, more unity, and more of a vibrational uplift. And I sort of carried that on um, in her absence. This show, radio show, is not only about all four of those things, but it's also about uh, ascension, involvement, inspiration, and again, love. Basically, how are you raising your own vibration? What are you doing uh, to take that to help yourself to evolve spiritually? And then how are you using those great new things that you've amassed to inspire others? And then how are you throwing love into it? Because love is really all there is. We don't live in a perfect world. We're not happy all the time. Um, Bad things happen to good people. But it's important that those of us that walk in the light continue to move forward uh, and do what we can to help others, sometimes directly because of the things that have been done to us. Um, That's what Raising the Vibration, the radio show, is about. And every week on the show, I gather people that um, I love and adore, who I consider bright lights in this world, uh, lovely, smart, uh, deep-thinking people who are... Um, survivors and moving forward on their path, trying to make the world a better place. And my guest today is certainly a beautiful example of that. Um, she's a wonderfully talented, everything writer, uh, producer, author, actress, um, chef, animal advocate. I mean, just an all around fantastic person that I love and adore. And, um, you are going to love and adore her as well. I think this is her first time on this show. She's done many of my shows. Please welcome to the show the wonderful Christina Lee. How are you, my friend? It's wonderful to have you here. I'm very well. Thank you for having me. Good. Did you like my whole inspiration beginning? I thought the whole time she's thinking, oh, Lord, i got to deliver inspiration now. That's exactly what I thought. I'm like, oh, God, I'm, that's intimidating. <laughs> I know, and I just continually, I think, part of our friendship, right, is that I'm always just like, rah, 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 you got it in you, kid, and you're always kind of like, I don't know, but then you always pull it out at the, at the, at the 11th hour when, it's, when it's, as we're on the starting line, you always pull out the good stuff. 
Well, that's a flattering assessment. Um, I don't know if you realize, though, that yesterday, I think, is like the eight-year anniversary of my doing your vagina monologues. I love it. Should we tell that story? I really kind of rah rah you right to that, didn't I, buddy? Yeah, you did. Yes, you did. And wasn't it the most wonderful thing, and weren't you fantastic? I was not fantastic, but it was a wonderful thing. And I, I wrote um, a big piece in my on my blog about it. Um, it was a very sort of the building up to doing it. I was going through a really hard time in my life at the time. And uh, it was it was I was really in a dark place and being around all those women and hearing those stories was exactly what the doctor ordered for me. So it ended up being very, very positive, even though I was terrified. Yeah, you were wonderful. I will say that. It's it's the Madonna monologues is an interesting thing and I hope once we have officially moved past COVID I can do that again. Um it's in my life, and I don't know about yours, but in my life, a lot of my very bad experiences in life have been with other women. And I think the way that women sometimes treat each other is terrible. The thing I love about the monologues is that all these women, right, from all different walks of life get together and become a family for a couple of hours. And then the energy of that, some of the energy of that stays with you for the rest of your life. And even the first time I did it in Manhattan as an actor, not knowing anybody there, being the West Coast kid who came in, um, I still talked to people from then. And then the, because of that producer, knew the producer in L.A., and then I did it out here in Culver City, and then I fell in love with it and wanted to start producing and directing it myself. And you, there's when a little bit of that good energy comes everywhere with you. And it's all based on women being great to each other. I've never had women fight during, uh, never had anybody not get along. It's just, there's just kind of a magical energy to it. And um, sometimes that's just what you need, right? And it's interesting because knowing everything you were going through in your life at the time you agreed to do that for me, um, in 2016, I already had it scheduled and had to do it two weeks after my mom died. So I was oh. in not good shape at all. And I thought about you and how you tough through it. And that helped me to tough through it, right? Because, you know, that's what my, well, what what I my was Irish going mama would have wanted. Yeah, but what I was going through wasn't nearly as hardcore as that, my goodness. But still, everybody's hardcore is everybody's hardcore, right? It was a devastating thing for you at the time, as it was a devastating thing for me. And it, it helped me. It healed me. Being in that environment helped me to get through it. And I, I always say I had two plays I had to bring into my theater company. I had that. And I had to throw my birthday party at the improv for 200 people. And that really got me through that really bad two or three month period after someone dies. And it saved me. Mm-hmm. So I think yeah. sometimes the right thing comes and falls in your lap at the right time. Because, you know, life is hard in general. For sensitive people, life is amazingly hard. And most artists are either sensitive or empathic. Many of us are. And, um, you need the little things to kind of keep you going, right? So you can tough through the other stuff. Well, yeah, that's true. And, and you have a way of, you create beautiful stuff for yourself. I mean, when you created your, your short film and, I mean, even before that, right, when you got involved in uh, working at film festivals and then, made your own thing and then it became very successful and then that became a book and 
that's kind of just like staying in motion, right? You don't let, remember we were kids, there was that poster that said, don't let the turkeys get you down. I mean, it's kind of like, it's really a mean thing to say about turkeys, but I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of like you just, in times where you feel stuck, you create something and keep moving. And I think that makes you a champion. Well, my goodness, you just flatter me left and right. Well, it's true. It's what I, I'm, I, it's what I think. You know, I think you're amazing. I think there are a lot Thank of people in their, in their careers or their emotional lives, when they go through something tough, they just develop this attitude like, fuck it, I don't give a shit, and I'm just, screw everybody, and I'm either going to be a jerk to everybody the rest of my life, or I'm just going to sit and whine and complain that nothing's getting done. Well, sometimes you have to change your own energy, right? And you do that by going out and creating something that keeps the energy moving. And certainly your bathing in the single girl film, it re-kicked your energy up, right? It restarted everything. It, it, well, you know, I, it's, it's, first of all, defeat is something I'm not comfortable with. Um, and so just <laughs> accepting it is something that I would never do. Um, I've, I have, I have, you know, I lose at things a lot, but I don't walk away feeling defeated. Um, I've been told, I have been told in the past that, you know, my time as an actor has expired and I should, you know, examine other paths forward to make a living. And that was something else I was unwilling to accept. Um, and sort of white knuckled my way into somehow manifesting it again. Um, I just, I, I just come from nothing. And so receding back into nothing is would be the worst possible outcome for my story. Yeah. And I can't let yeah. that happen. I, I think I think receiving back into where you came from is devastating for anybody's story. I think that we're not meant to just walk away with our tail between our legs and say, Okay, I don't need to have any of my dreams anyhow. I don't deserve it. Um we're supposed to kind of keep fighting, right? And we're supposed to keep providing that energy and and you certainly did that and it led you on a path of of being in motion right it's physics an object in motion tends to stay in motion you kept yourself in motion until the the bigger entertainment world came back and scooped you up again but in the meantime you yeah. were in the indie entertainment world and you were still moving Yes, and I will like I would like to say that um, somebody asked me once they, they were you know in a horrible depression and you know what 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 advice would I have and I would say then do something in service you know whatever that might be yeah foster a mm-hmm. dog go, you know volunteer some time somewhere like do, helping that gets you so out of your own stew um, and that's really one of the most important things and um, and so the film festival thing that sort of fell into my lap that I did for almost twenty years. I did a, a lot. It was a lot of work, and I, I eventually was doing it year round for like six different festivals, and it was all for free. I didn't get paid a cent, but I was always around. Of course, I enjoy watching movies, and that's you know, programming is primarily just watching movies. And um, but I was always just neck deep in other artists' work, and that's inspiring too. And when I had no control over whether I was working, I still got to feel like I was involved in a creative community, and that that kept me from just succumbing to you know, fuck it and giving up, you know? Uh-huh. Um, it's, yeah. it's, it's sort of remarkable that 
virtually no work came to me, not none, but virtually none of 20 years of being around filmmakers, you know, um, it sort of flies in the face of it too, you know, and that kind of thing that everyone thinks Hollywood's about, which does, there is elements of that, of course, but there's so many other things that you, I, I, I haven't gotten work from anyone that I knew, you know, <laughs> before, you know, like I, the, the people that I get work from now because I know them, I didn't know them the first time they gave me work. And now I know them and they keep giving me work, but that wasn't how it started, you know? Um, so right, just anyway, right. like you said, keep keep moving forward is uh, it's whatever way that might manifest is the most important thing. Cause yeah, I mean, complaining uh, I agree. is yeah. unappealing even to me. Um, not that I don't get sad and frustrated, but yeah, giving up is just not my thing. Yeah, isn't that, it's so weird, isn't it? That because um, uh, I always want to give my friends work. Whenever I'm doing anything, I always think like, who do I know that's amazing that I can give work? But um, I have found that that's that's very interesting. That I've been involved in a lot of projects, and uh, oftentimes people don't don't do that, and it's. Um, I don't know what that's about. I think, I don't know. I don't know, but I do agree that is a thing. I think people are always thinking of, filmmakers get a, a definite mindset of what they think somebody should be in a role in a thing. And um, they, they're going with that instead of, I'm always, I'm an energy person, right? So I'm always thinking, mm-hmm. whose energy do I want in this project? Whose energy will fill out this project? And when I start to right. get something, uh, that's that's how that's how I do. That's how I do the monologues every time. Um, it's I do it by energy. Who's, who, who, where an audience is going to want whose energy in this part today, and who am I going to want to come in, and what other actors are they actresses are they going to work well with? Um, that's kind of how I work, but I don't think that's how all creative people work. It's, uh, it's I'd rather rare. work with people that I, I love. Yeah. I'm sorry. I think I there's a on. combination of reasons. It's okay. There's a combination of reasons of why this, you know, might happen that way. But I think making a living as an artist and on in any in any, you know, field of it, whether it's painting or writing or acting or directing or whatever, um, it's almost impossible to make a living as a as an artist. So, if you're if, if you're say you're a director and you have an opportunity to direct a piece, I think people get aspirational as to who they want cast. They want to cast above their pay grade, you know, and, and be elevated by the people that get they cast. So if you could cast your yes. friend that you've known for 20 years that you know is fantastic, but you could also get Scarlett Johansson or even try to get Scarlett Johansson, you're going to try to get Scarlett Johansson. So because that it, it, it sort of wraps you in some safety and escalates, you know, your elevates your position. And I, and I think also there's a, bit, a little bit of um, – Familiarity breeding contempt. I think there's some the you know people really well, and directors don't see you that they know they almost know you too well to see you as a performer anymore. You know, and so yeah. I know her. Yeah, yeah. And I know I can't. I, now I can't I start. Yeah, I can't not see her when she's no. doing a role. Now I just see her, not the role, and that can cloud yeah. people's ability to. Yeah. That's really strange. Yeah, I had that happen a lot when I first became a radio host, and then people would be like, but you're a radio host. I'd be like, well, 
yeah, but I've only been a radio host for two years. I've been an actor for 15. And it really was the right. vagina monologue. People walk up afterwards and go, oh, you can actually act. It's like, well, <laughs> yeah, like I, would, <laughs> I wouldn't be in this if I thought I sucked. I would just let somebody right. else do it. I'm not here to, like, force people to watch me be terrible. But exactly, yeah, we but, do you know, still pigeonhole have... people, right? Yeah, but I have the great, great, great fortune of, um, well, twice in two years, you know, having old old employers come back to employ me again. And currently it's with Don Mancini who in, created the Chucky franchise, and I met him when I was 24 and he was 26. Um, he's an especially wow. loyal um, creator. I, I did Child's Play 2 when I was 24, and he was, he had written, it was the second one he'd written, and he was 26. Um, he is so loyal to actors that not only is he bringing people back, but like the little kid, Alex Vincent, who was six in the first film in 1988, he's in the TV show now at 41, playing the same character. Yeah. And then there's other actors that, you know, Chucky, what he does for a living is kill people. Um, and sometimes the story will have an actor that Don has become very fond of end up you know, meeting their demise on screen, that doesn't mean that actor is done with the Chucky franchise. That just means Don's going to write a different role for them and bring them back again. I mean, Devin Sawa died. He played twins in the first season of Chucky last season, and both of the twins were murdered, and Devin Sawa is coming back. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I'm not going to give away who he's coming back as, but, like, That's you fantastic. can't away Devin, you know. And so it's an incredible loyalty yeah. that Don has that uh, is rare, and I'm very grateful to be in his stable. Yeah, I love that. I love uh, creators that their projects become like a family, that it's very important yeah. for them to use talent that they trust. And I also think when you're dealing with a genre thing, and, and horror is certainly, you know, an example of that, um, fans want to see those people. They want to see the actual people from the original films. They want to know because they follow everybody. They know every single character, every actor, and they love that. So if you're recasting everything and not using anybody or not paying homage to what the original was, um, it's a thing they don't necessarily like. And I think that's something that, the internet has helped us learn a lot about, right? Because it used to be guys in suits made all the decisions. And now we're actually is. starting to listen to what the fans want. And what the fans often want know. is that beloved person that they've watched. Yeah, but that can backfire too uh, in that. Two years ago, in, or in 2019, three years ago now, uh, when 90210 came back as that rebooted BH90210, they brought everybody mm-hmm. back, and they fucking they had they struck gold in that they got both Shannon Doherty and Jason Priestley to come back. Neither of them they were they were a million to one to get either one of them, let alone both of them, and they did, and they got the entire cast back. And fans were mad because they weren't twenty five, you know. Like <laughs> we don't want to see fifty year olds right. doing blah, blah, blah. I was like, well, what do you expect? Like, we're fifty. So that's right. weird. They, they, right. There was no loyalty there, and I was shocked because I think the show was great. And I think, I think the show was great, and I can't believe fans gave it the finger, but they did. And, you know, and, and in other news, the, the, the Chucky fans are much more loyal and, uh, and do, like you said, want to see the old, the old characters. Yeah. They don't care that Alex it isn't six anymore and I'm 41. <laughs> They're psyched about that. So, but the but the yeah. studio doesn't necessarily trust that that's true. The studio gives Don a hard time about these bringing us, as we are called, the OGs back, and um, and fans love it. So 
But you never know. I was so I was right. like on pins and needles waiting for the Chucky fans response to this because I was like, oh, I've been here already once, and I don't want to get my hopes up because I fans are unpredictable, and that's why guys in suits right. are nervous and make bad decisions because is there's no formula that is guaranteed to work. Absolutely, no, absolutely true. But like I said, I think horror is a different kind of thing. I think it's it's they love the characters. I think it's a different kind of genre. I think the 90210 folks are a little more mainstream television folks, the fans. They're a little bit different. Mm-hmm. I think that horror is a genre that was founded by and watched by and about outcasts. And I think that yes. outcasts tend to be much more loyal to uh, the people that they like. They're not worried about what's cool or, oh, God, I'm – I'm watching this cool show about Beverly Hills, but I'm embarrassed because the people are 50. You know, I don't think there's that in horror. Horror is everybody's an outcast, right? And um, in that I respect, that. I think the, the genre is beautiful in that way. I agree. And having, you know, I do conventions several times a year, and, I, you know, you're neck deep in fans for four days, uh, and it, they're great, with almost without exception, it's an incredible environment, very family-friendly environment of people that are respectful and just really devoted to the, the genre and, and their particular, you know, everyone's got their favorites and their least favorites. But it's a, it's, it is, there, are, there isn't another, except for Comic-Cons, there's not another genre. So like the big superhero stuff, the things that Comic-Cons, you know, focus on. There's not another genre. There's no like drama or romantic comedy conventions you know, where fans of those genres get together to see, you know, what's her name? It's <laughs> the daughter of Goldie Hawn or, you know, Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> those things are right. probably too big to ever show up at a convention. But, you know, like there's no like, romantic horror comedy conventions. There's no, like, you know, dramedy right. conventions. Right. There's horror conventions. Yeah, horror well, it conventions, all started with horror sci-fi. and sci-fi, right? It all started, yeah. yeah. But again, and sci-fi outcast is also outsider. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's outsiders, yeah. and it's interesting because in in those genres, they've done so much for television. Because it was in those genres that you started seeing interracial couples, interspecial couples, uh, LGBTQ yeah, plus people. Yep. Was it true, right? Star, Star Trek had interspecial relationships. Yeah, but all yeah, these things I know. that started the American viewer um, that lived in a very straight white Christian viewing world to start thinking of things beyond that realm and, and sci-fi and horror hitting the young people, right? So the young people were growing up with a different idea of what the face of America looked like. And um, I think that was that, that, that those genres have done so much and also on a spiritual level, right? To get people to start thinking about, you know, more things than heaven and earth, like what's, what's out there and what's possible and what could be and how could it be and you know what I mean? I mean, I think it's those two genres have done so much for um, film and television and, and books um, with, right. well, with just bringing in different kinds by, of things. By reality. Yeah, because they're not restrained right. by reality, so they can experiment more. So. Right. Yeah, but I agree. It is reality. I mean, reality itself has become kind of a blurred, you know, who's reality? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. It's Yeah. 
Well, that's, it's a lot different than it no, used to be. In political time we're in right now, <laughs> whose reality is the, is the question. Right. I mean, what is, is reality turning the world back to the 1950s? Is reality, you know, a world where there is nothing beyond the three dimensions? Is, you know, is reality, it's all, it's all very out there now. Everybody has their own opinions. And as we get closer towards discovering how science and spirituality are sort of two sides of the same thing, the idea of what reality is, is even going to get more complicated and um, shows like a horror film or a Star Trek, those really help people to kind of begin to wrap their brains around things, you know? And, yeah. and I, I find horror, sci-fi, fantasy genre people to be very free-thinking and very open and very wonderful and very embracing, right, of, of you before the Chucky series, very embracing to see something you did when you were 24, And understand that you're not 24 anymore, and be totally okay with that. Yeah, that exactly. is, uh, I think, a cool thing, you know. So, what does it feel like to um, to step back into in the last three years, right? Two projects that were very big for you in your 20s, and be back with everybody again. I mean, was it the same kind of family feeling that you remember from then? Yes. Uh, well, more so, actually, because everyone's 30 years older and matured and, you know, mellowed in many ways. And um, and gratitude is a bigger part of everybody's day-to-day, you know? I don't think gratitude is something a lot of 20-year-olds spend a lot of time thinking about, and you do when you're in your pictures. Um, so sure. there's that. Um, the 90210 experience was and tremendous. Uh, I, I, I live with Jason for a long time, and Jason's wife is like one of my best friends, and and so there's real family there for me. And then the cast that I've known for 30 years, since they were like kids, you know, I was 26 doing that show, but a lot of them were much younger. Um, it was really, it was really warm and really great. I was one of a billion guest stars they could have brought back in a big role in that show. There were, I mean, 10 years of guest stars. They had a lot of people to pick from, so I was super grateful to have been um, chosen. Um, and everybody was super kind, and everybody was, you know, we want to make this show really great, and it was supportive, and there were, there were no shenanigans, and it was awesome. The Chucky return was weird because of COVID. So, oh, you know, yeah. I go, I go to Toronto, which was the strictest uh, – area of Canada and I had to do a 14 day quarantine and you have to get tested for COVID three times a week and the crew, everybody's dressed in burkas and you can't, and there's zones of who you can have contact with and you can't hobnob. There's no craft service table. There's no, there's no, there's no community. There was no community on that set. So I come into it knowing Jennifer Tilly and knowing, uh, you know, uh, Fiona Dorff and Alex Vincent and Dawn um, and a couple of the puppeteers, but beyond that, if I didn't already know them, it was impossible to get to know them, which was frustrating. So I'm hoping that the second time around that the restrictions are much less, you know. You don't have to get a COVID test yeah. in the country anymore to prove that you're vaccinated. And I'm just hoping everyone's not wearing masks and separated into pods, like, but we'll see, you know. <laughs> right. When do, when do you go back? I go back in the middle of June. Okay. 
All right. So we're getting there with the COVID. I mean, I think there's still restrictions, but I think we're we're getting close to a lot of it being. We're, we're getting close. I went to, to the post office. It, I think. Yeah, the post office. No one was wearing masks the other day. It was really weird to see postal workers with you know in inside the building with no masks on. I went to the supermarket yeah. the first time like two weeks ago without a mask on. It felt like I was naked. It was, in fact, I kind of liked the mask because you could just like look like shit. <laughs> just put a mask on and no one could tell it was right. you. Now you got to get now you got to right. get your shit together again before you go out in public. <laughs> yeah, I kind of liked it when I did my church services because I only had to do my eyes. Like I didn't have to do anything with the rest yeah. of my face. Uh, I thought I was right. going to hate it, no. but then I was like, oh, it's like a third of the makeup. I kind of love it. Yeah, it's like yeah, pajamas it's, uh, to your face. I still wear a mask when I go to stores. I I think it's just habit um, to yeah. be in big stores. I feel like I still should, especially because I live uh, most of the time down here in Orange County, about an hour south, and nobody ever wore masks down here because we don't believe COVID yeah. exists down here. Right. So um, right. I think it's important that I not be part of the problem. So I I do still wear uh-huh. my mask when I'm out. Um and and COVID is still a thing because I just got it again two weeks ago. I haven't had it since I know. March of 2020. So um, I think it's not done think, yet, and we have to remember that. No, it's but not. I think I have. But an they do have good drugs for it. I'm knocking on wood uh, for you. right now, but uh, I I have done many a convention um, in the last year where I walk around, put my arm around 300 people a day, and you know, handle their money. They hand me their sweaty money out of their sock. And, you know, and I take it and it's like, there's nothing dirtier in the world than money, you know, um, like, like literally dirty germ filled passes hands a thousand times a day, yeah. you know? Um, exactly. So, yes. and, and they're handing me their things from their home, their Chucky dolls, whatever to find posters they have. And, and, and then I come out and I give them a hug and, you know, take their money. So that's a lot of contact and a lot of tempting <laughs> things, and I don't know how. I, and, yeah, yeah. A lot of just yeah, uh, a lot of yeah. crowded convention halls. So and I and I've been exposed a bunch. I had a super spreader dinner event at my house about six months ago, and everybody at the table got COVID except me. <laughs> I don't understand, but uh, wow, so talking about it in the Do news is a phenomenon with- where there's some people. Well, part of it's probably genetic, right? I mean, you have uh, some Celtic genes, and that's some good stock. I do. I have a Celtic immune system, too. Don't you have a, aren't you part something Celtic? Irish, English, I'm, Scottish, Welsh, something? Irish. What? It's, it's, I'm, you, I'm all, I'm white. I'm white as fuck. I'm just like Irish, 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 and then some Swedish. Okay. Okay, good. All right, so Irish. There you go. I didn't want to. I didn't. I thought we had had this talk that you were Irish because I am too, but I didn't want to push unless I was wrong. Um, yeah. So Irish people, right? I always say this because my immune system is really good as well. Um, of course, I did get COVID, but I also had a partner that had it twice and gave it to me. Um, ah. If um, I always say that the Irish, we would like work in a coal mine for eighteen hours and still be able to have ten children when we got home. So we have that mm-hmm. kind of immune system that's that's really good. But I also wonder yeah. if it has to do with you being vegan. I don't think so. Um, I don't think so. I think that I, I, I mean, I, I eat pretty clean. That's true. Um, 
vegan isn't necessarily healthy. I mean, as far as like I could eat right. processed bullshit, fake vegan chicken and all that, you know, the chicken, right. chicken nuggets, don't. the chicken nuggets, whether they're vegan or they're, no, I do occasionally. <laughs> not, so. right. Yeah, I do. Right. They're basically salt and chemicals mm-hmm. and gluten. Yeah. It's like, yeah, exa- it's, it's chemicals. And then occasionally when I'm like at a convention, I will have to, you know, default to being vegan adjacent and uh, or just vegetarian and eat cheese oh, okay. because some, some of these places there's nothing you can have except because they'll like modify the menu because the crowd is so big and there's like six things in the menu is bar food so it's like buffalo wings you know hamburgers or a pizza and I'm not going to spend four days right. in a hotel in Louisville and live on iceberg lettuce salad <laughs> and then the dressing isn't even vegan yeah. and the dressing's not vegan so um Right, so, sure. You know, default here and there. But, um, I mean, I, yeah, I'm a pretty healthy person. I've always worked out since high school. I've been a workout person, and I always eat relatively well. I drink a lot. I drink a lot, lot, lot of wine. Um, but I think that I'm Maybe holding up pretty well. I think it's perhaps. And I do think there's something to be said from coming from sturdy, sturdy stock, though. I do come from sturdy stock. Um, yeah, yeah. And I think that might be a function of poverty, which is the opposite of what you should think, like, you know, but I think Mm -hmm. people using hand sanitizers before COVID hit all this like hand sanitizing and, and was like, Mm -hmm. you don't, Mm -hmm. you don't get any, any immune system built up if you're ever exposed to anything. I agree. I I touched the shopping cart. I put both my hands on that shopping cart because I'm building my immune system up. No, I, I feel the exact same way. And I do think a lot of it's genetic and a lot of it's what kind of stock you come from. And I do think that, you know, people who come from more of a sort of poverty background that come from laborers, you know, the ones that didn't have the good immune systems didn't survive to procreate. I mean, that sounds terrible, but, you know, a lot of this country was built on the backs of the Irish and the ones that couldn't hack it couldn't come home and have children. So, you know, that is a thing. And I come from, interestingly, my mom grew up extremely poor, uh, coincidentally enough, in Louisville. And um, so, yeah, <laughs> I mean, I do think that that's part of it. But I also think it's living boldly. And I'm going to say this because now I'm going to get woo-woo on you, but I think living in fear dings your immune system. I think to be somebody oh, who's always fearful that the germ is coming, that this is coming, this person's going to mug me or kill me, and just living in a uh-huh. constant place of fear literally lowers your immune system because your well, what emotional and spiritual is, immune systems work. With, mm-hmm. Yeah, because what you're do because worrying is praying for what you don't want. Yeah. Yes. Praying is putting energy out for what you do want, right? I pray that you know my my stepdad recovers from leukemia. I pray like that. want, but worrying, going, oh my god, I'm going to lose the car. Or, oh my god, I'm going to get COVID. That's a form of praying too. Yeah. You're putting uh-huh. the energy out there yeah. in this, and often with way more intensity, you people feel fear so much more viscerally than they feel hope. So yeah. watch out what you worry in. Absolutely. And you know, I always tell my clients this, that universe is a mirror, right? So if you're, if you're constantly saying, um, you know, my husband's going to cheat, my husband's going to cheat, my husband's going to cheat, then whoops, your yeah, husband cheated. Well, what, cheat. what are you even uh-huh. saying for six months? I mean, it's yeah, you're you, basically you, you, saying to universe, yeah. You're manifesting. Yeah, you're manifesting, you're manifesting negativity. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know I a lot very, of people very that lived in this sense. terrible. Yeah. I'm sorry? I cut you off. I'm sorry. I just have a really very oh, I... uh, very powerful ability to manifest, so I need to be really careful where I put my head, you know. Right. Well, that's good, but a good ability to manifest is a fantastic gift. But, yeah, yes, you have to stay positive. you got to be careful with it. Yeah, yeah. Because I've done and, the opposite. And I think I, I, so I when have manifested the negative. Of course. I keep cutting you off. But that's okay. That's fine. We're good. Um, yeah, I, I saw that when COVID hit, and maybe it was because I'd already had COVID, but nobody knew what COVID was when I had it. I just thought I was going to die right. from the flu. Um, but I saw all these people being so paranoid about everything, and I thought, you know what, that's not, that's not good. Because if, if, honestly, I don't mean to sound cryptic, but if spirit wants you to have COVID, you're going to get COVID. I don't care if you never see anybody. So I agree. You can't, you can't run from the inevitable, right? People who try to gear their lives towards nothing bad ever happening to them. It's, it's not a reality. You can step out on a curb and a bus could hit you. You, you right. can't live in constant fear. So maybe your attitude of, you know, bring it on, I'll touch the doorknob, um, you actually were building your I mean, immune system. And maybe this yeah. is helping germaphobes everywhere, COVID. I, yeah, I don't think so. But uh, I, mm. I'm not saying that I was like, I, I, I was super mask conscious and I was doing my social distancing and I didn't see anybody except for my core people except for the supermarket that I went to almost every day because it was my only excursion into actual real life. Um, mm-hmm. And then I'd get in the car and I'd wash my hands with the hand sanitizer and I would like, but then my whole keys, like your, your keys have so many nooks and crannies in them. <laughs> and you handled your keys with the same hand you handled the cart. And like, it, it's just dumb. So I made, I made my gestures at, at it. I, when I was very respectful of mass culture and I, Again, in the beginning when social distancing and not crossing, you know, communities, I, you know, I, I have people that live in my house with me and I only saw them and their friends because their friends were always here and I, you know, my friends weren't. So I was like, that would take, I stayed with the family that was handy, you know, um, not, and didn't see my people that were my headed before then been my family uh, until things lifted. Um, I was, so I'm not saying I was just like willy nilly running around, you know, like a jackass I was respectful but not to an extreme I didn't like get groceries delivered and leave them outside for four days so that like people were doing like their Amazon boxes afraid to touch them or bring them in I was I was bolder than that but (laughs) I know I know yeah I know I know but I think part of that with me was that at a young age you know in my teens and 20s I lived through the AIDS crisis and losing so many of my friends and, you know, I remember when that was the big fear, oh, God, you know, don't, don't touch a doorknob if a don't gay touch person them. touched it because you're going to get the AIDS. Right. So I right. think that I, uh, living through a, a plague on a, on a, a less, you know, not, not as uh, media publicized scale um, helped me to realize that you don't, you know, there is such a thing called air and air does kill viruses and you don't have to put the boxes outside for four days, but people just kind of lost their minds. And I think people are still very, I mean, I think human beings innately are very fearful of their own mentality and mortality. And I, that was a Freudian slip. And I think that, Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, people still have a lot of that. Oh my God, the COVID's coming. The COVID's coming. Um, It's not as bad as it was, but I remember the, 
But a million Americans yeah. have died. A million Americans, not people. I know. Americans. Um, I know. That's insane. Remember when you know Trump was bragging about we'll keep it under two hundred thousand, and that sounded like right impossible. But it was impossible. Look what happened. I mean, and not everyone yeah. that died was was a COVID denier. You know. So. Yeah, no, that's very true. No, and the thing about COVID is, is that the first couple of days you have it, you're sure you're going to die, because the fever is so high and it comes on so strong. And I had forgotten what it was like until I got it again two weeks ago, and I was like, I'm going to the hospital because it is so bad. You just kind of have to live through that first 24 hours um, of yeah. the yeah. of the shaking and the. This, you know, I was in a hot tub, turned up to 102, freezing, and the shaking in the hot tub turned up to 102. So, and then yeah. thinking, I'm never going to be able to get out of this hot tub. I'm never going to be able to get out of this thing. I'm going to die. Yeah. So it's um, until a 107 you know, degree it, it, day a, happens. <laughs> right. Exactly. It's a it's a scary thing, but um, I hope, and you know me, always the cockeyed optimist. I hope that we've learned something as, as a species from everyone in the world having this experience at the same time. I hope that we've learned how fragile we all are as a species and how anything can happen to any of us at any time. And we need to spend more time focusing on that and less time hating each other. And I know that everyone's not going to come around to that because that's people, but I hope some people came around to that during that time when we were all sitting in our houses thinking, you know, well, unfortunately, I think the opposite happened. Everyone had way too much time on their hands and way too much time to sink their their selves into the Internet because there's nothing else to do. And because of Internet algorithms, people, you, you, you know, you click on one thing and you get down in a, a wormhole that can lead you into very extreme places. And um, and I think we saw the result of that in Buffalo recently. Um, of somebody radicalized from just deep diving out of boredom and the fact that you know when you click on a certain thing whether it's whatever it might be whether it's like yoga or I hate Muslims whatever you click you start getting led deeper into that direction and all the things that pop up are either yoga or I hate Muslims whatever thing you were whatever path you were on you know it leads you deeper into whichever path you were on and Fortunately, there's not a lot of yoga extremists doing anything crazy, um, but there are in the other direction. So um, I don't know how much we learned. I think we learned to be, be – I don't know what we can learn. This goes back to earlier in the conversation with the who's reality, and I said in, in, mm. in the current political climate, whose reality is really the question. It's the most important question because one, in my opinion, one reality is the reality, and one is this fear-based lies to stoke people into frenzy and to vote against their own best interests. So, um, yeah, it's complicated. And I don't, and, and I think that COVID, I think this people ha- deep diving on the internet um, has made it worse for us as a community, not better. Yeah. I do think that people do like to go down a rabbit hole and, um, and then pick up whatever reality they works for them. Instead of, you know, they they stop caring about facts at some point, and it's um, it's Buffalo's been it was scary. I spent a lot of time yesterday watching the news, and um, it's uh, it reminds me of, and, and if I'm offending anybody as I liken this, it reminds me of the sites where you know people go 
and look at the child pornography. And I know they monitor those sites because they think everybody they can catch early on those sites is a child that will not get pulled into pornography. I don't know if that's possible with this kind of a thing, but it certainly seems like somebody should be monitoring these groups that are sort of grooming people to become these radical, extreme, racist, violent people before it happens. There has to be a way to to do something before it happens. Yeah, it should also maybe like the, you know not sell assault rifles to eighteen year old kids. <laughs> if you can't drink a beer, you well, shouldn't have that, an assault rifle. Right. I mean, that's a given. Right. But it's the same thing, right? I mean. It, Whereas somebody who, um, obviously we know somebody who's got a child pornography thing has something in them that's missing and not right. Um, somebody who has so much fear in them that deep diving on the Internet could cause them to murder people in a market, there's a not right in there. You know what I mean? And And maybe in all our lofty observing everyone on the Internet now, we need to start trying to find the folks that aren't right before this kind of thing happens because it's just happening so much. Well, that could, yeah, I mean, and that's, that's a more complicated thing. That, oh, it's outrageous, but yeah. I don't think that, the, the, the you know, patrolling everybody on the Internet is a more complicated endeavor than it might seem, of and course. it's also all kinds of privacy oh, God, issues. Yeah. So, you know, sure. more importantly, we should be, like, just trying to track better who's buying these things. But... um Absolutely. Like, and then this kid in particular, I mean, the coward, the cowardice of this kid, not only did he stalk this neighborhood and pick this supermarket specifically because of its demographic, but to go in it, he didn't just, he killed a bunch of senior citizens. I know. It's, I, it's, I know. I was just going to say that. Yeah. It's, you're 18 years old and you're blowing up, uh, you're, blow, you're blowing the heads off people in their 70s and 80s. I mean, what, what is, what is yeah. that? That is so twisted. Not that it would be better if they were younger. Right. It's just exceptionally bizarre to think you're doing the world a service by killing people's great grandmothers. I, I, well, I don't know I how these easy brains. Pickens, right? I mean, I think it. I think easy, easy. You know, you're not gonna. You're not gonna go someplace where you're scared somebody's gonna come at you and take your gun. I mean, so it's, it's easy to kill old people. I mean, so it's let's extreme talk about the size of the right? fear center. Yes, so the size of the fear center yeah. in the brain of, like that, that that has them believe that there's a, a threat from that community uh, and that you also need an assault rifle and then you also know, go, need to go kill the oldest people in that community. Like there's so many <laughs> levels of cowardice there, I can't even deal. Yeah, and somebody he that could have killed them all with, with a fucking screwdriver. Like they're old people, you know? <laughs> right. I'm yeah. not laughing. It's not funny at all. I'm not laughing. I mean, the level of his cowardice yeah. and, and that he's not being vilified in right-wing media and they're trying to deny that he's got manifestos and stuff, whatever. And I'm sure I've offended everybody, you of know, course. but. No, that's okay. No, not everybody. Um, no, certainly. I mean, it's, it's, look, there is, um, I was just saying last night that when I was watching this news coverage that if, if I was a Republican and I'm not, I'm very open about the fact that I'm a lifelong Democrat. Um, and I didn't approve of what had happened to my party, I would be fighting, like, to bring back the Republican Party before it escalated into this slippery slope and say, this is not what we're about. This is not what I'm about. 
and yeah. but everybody is so scared and everybody just falls in line, you know. And well, I, they're being lied to. I've in seen... all fairness to them, they're being lied sure. to by by massive news cable news networks that they think are actual news networks. So it's almost not their fault. They, you're, they're being told every day, all day that that you and I are wrong and that they we're liars and you know pedophiles and that that they should be afraid of you know whatever mm-hmm. replacement theory um yeah so you yeah. when you see when you perceive a news source as and also keep in mind that the majority of this country is not wealthy the majority of the country is working class and middle class and they're not watching kids yes. news 8 hours a day they have kids and three jobs and they're busy and they make it a snippet of some news some here and there and they're not you know necessarily they don't have the energy or the time to do spend as much time on watching the news that I do, you know, um, and that's no fault of right. their own. That's yeah. just being a human being with a family and in a country that doesn't take right. care of the, <laughs> the weakest citizens well enough. So, um, right. No, you're, you're so completely right about that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's true. So I, I, I just keep hoping that, that someday all of the violence will, somebody will say, people will start saying we've had enough. And I do. And again, cocktail optimist, but, I do believe slowly but surely didn't, people are coming no. around to it. They did not say it after the kids, the fucking kindergarten kids. I know. The so kids awful. that were killed in, was it Connecticut? What, what's that town? Yeah, in Newton. Mm-hmm. Newtown? Um, mm-hmm. Newtown, yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. what, 26 five-year-olds got killed? I mean, if that doesn't mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. change your perspective, nothing will. I mean, they're ba- literally babies. So. Yeah, the same kind of cowardice that killed the old people. The same kind of yeah, again, you know, assault rifle. It doesn't take like a whole lot to kill a, a bunch of five-year-olds with an assault rifle either. Yeah, I know. You're right. No. You're completely right, and I and I agree with you. I just I always I keep praying for a better world, and um, trying to encourage as many as I can to to follow the light path, hoping that some that don't believe that will will sort of see the power of positivity and change their perspective. I'm not counting on that that's going to happen, but that's kind of my work. And um, at least it feels good to be saw, trying to do something, I, you know? Yes. I saw, I think D.L., is it D.L. Hughley? 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 How do you say his name? Mm-hmm. D.L. Hughley? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Hughley. Um, I, th- I think Hughley. He posted a, an old uh, clip of Tupac Shakur that I saw today, and Tupac was saying, look, I'm I'm not going to change the world, but I'm going to inspire someone else to change the world. I, I, I All I can do is shine a light on what's wrong. I can't fix what's wrong, but I can shine a light on it, and the next person in line can fix it. Uh, that's paraphrasing, but Love it's it. a really powerful little yeah. speech, and I think that that's a great yeah. takeaway. So even if you can't do it that. yourself, you can still keep shining a light on it. Absolutely. And on that note, my friend, thank you for being here. Let's do this again. Where can people <laughs> find you online? Oh, everywhere. Instagram. It's Christina Lee's, uh McCarthy on Instagram. Uh, I, I, what I would really like people to do, actually, is if they go, if you if you look up online, up and up and down, and life in the vagina monologues. It is my um, blog piece I wrote about doing nice. your show, um, and it's it was I fucking cried and cried and cried as I wrote it. It's a really was a really gut wrenching piece for me to write, um, but it has a happy ending. And besides that, I'm on Instagram and uh, and my book is on Amazon. Bathing in the Single Girl is on Amazon. 
I love that you suggested that because I cried when I wrote it, said when I read it, because it's wonderful. It's beautiful. Go do that, my friends. Thank you, my friend, for being here. Thank you for being so wonderful. I always appreciate having you here with me. Happy to be here. Be safe. I'll talk to you soon. You betcha. The wonderful Christine Elise, everybody. She's wonderful. If you missed those links, SheenaMetalSpiritual.com. That's how you find me and everywhere online at Sheena Metal. And until I see you next week, seek peace, live in love, lead with kindness, embrace unity, always raise your vibration, and I'll see you next time. Uh, thanks for being here, and thanks for being a part of this show. Uh, the show. It's raising the vibration right here on the Live Paranormal Radio Network at LiveParanormal.com, my movement, RaisingTheVibration.com. I'll see you next time. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.